welcome to Design Nonfiction, an exploration of how design transforms in response to emerging technologies. From Tellart, I'm your host, Matt Cottom. Today we present to you Roseanne Summerson, President of Rhode Island School of Design and co-editor of The Art of Critical Making. We met at her home in Providence, Rhode Island, in her dining room. Roseanne told us how RISD teaches idea creation, how trained designers can uniquely tackle complex challenges like climate change, and how technology gives us new lenses for understanding the world. To start off, I wanted to know about the origins of Rhode Island School of Design. And this is what she answered. This region was the Silicon Valley of the Industrial Revolution. It was where the biggest innovations were happening at the highest level of achievement and quality. And um, there were incredible industries here in, certainly in, in things like jewelry making and metal smithing and iron working and textiles and the development of the steam engine, which was really developed for the textile industry. The highest level of industry was happening here in this region. And it was in part because of the connections with some of the key families in Rhode Island with industries in Europe and seeing what was happening there and coming back here and finding a way to do it even better. And um, there was an association of business people, very high level business people. And the, the sort of, they, they were men. And then there was this women's group that was the Centennial Women's Group that actually wanted to raise funds to showcase the expertise of the artisanry that was happening here in Philadelphia at the 1876 centennial. So the, and, and it's interesting to think about why um, these two organizations existed. The men's group was really sort of a business, almost like a chamber of commerce. And several of them were on the, connected to the government at the time. Um, there was a connection to the president of Brown University. All of the families that eventually became the key families that started RISD were connected with this association. But they had a very interesting set of principles, which were around the idea of to make really high quality objects that brought forward sort of the principles of Ruskin and the, the opportunity that the connection between industry and artisanry could, could make stronger together they had a big focus on beauty and also on educating the public about beauty and aesthetics. And they often use the word beauty as sort of an instigator for industry. And I think what they were trying to say was that industry done well had an aesthetic impetus sort of embedded in it that, that a public needed to understand. So how to bring a public into understanding the difference between something mediocre and something fabulous. Um, and out of that, this women's group decided to really support the showcasing the best wares and works of, of this region at the Centennial. And um, when the Centennial was over, which was a giant success, there was um, money left over. And that's sort of the story of the starting of RISD. There was a little bit over $1,600 and there were two groups. One wanted to start a fountain in the downtown which in, to our contemporary ears sounds very um, decorative, but at that time that was where the community got water. So it'd be sort of a water source for um, the community. And the others wanted to start a school. And, you know, we often like to say that this was a well of another kind, you know, a sort of well of knowledge. 
But the notion was that there were several very successful trade schools in this area at the time. And RISD was deliberately not set up as a trade school. It was about embracing the notion of economy and innovation with beauty and with aesthetics. And that's why a museum was always in the picture. The museum started a couple of years after the school, but it was always the intention. And it was also the notion of what eventually became a strong commitment to the liberal arts. Bringing it back to RISD, I was curious to know how idea creation is taught. I think in our undergraduate program, the two things that really distinguish RISD's approach is the fact that a third of our requirements are in the liberal arts and also our foundation year. Our first year experience is the place where young people transform into artists and designers and they learn how to completely reconceive how they think about ideas and questions and it's so successfully done it's also the rigor of you know people talk about developing a kind of practice and practice has a dual meaning it's sort of what you do how you define your your discipline or your profession but it also has to do with the sense that an enormous um, number of hours have to go into building mastery in any discipline or any practice and so it's that notion of practicing and practicing and our emphasis on drawing and the embodiment of still hand drawing at large scale for hours and hours on end, as I'm sure you remember, is something that puts the knowledge of seeing and perceiving into your body. And, um, you know, we don't look at drawing as just representation. Drawing is a form of thinking. It's sort of connecting and developing ideas, but it's also understanding how to perceive and experience things and sort of embed them in your in your sort of tact, in your haptical um, senses. And um, that's a key difference, I think, that emphasis. A lot of schools, believe it or not, have, they still say that students draw, but they don't draw in the same way. They don't draw in the physical way. They don't draw in the conceptual way or the developmental way. And I remember myself as a freshman, the moment when a drawing teacher got me to understand the piece of paper, not as a flat thing, but as a three-dimensional entry into space. And I could actually feel like I was pushing drawings into another dimension and sort of pulling out three dimensions from a flat piece of paper. That kind of thinking is transferable to very interesting things down the road when you become involved in making three-dimensional ideas and objects. It's about the making, you know, and that's another thing, and that's why the book that we produced was The Art of Critical Making, was the, the fact that there, whether students never make anything again once they leave RISD, they understand materials, they understand structures, they understand weights, they understand relationships and connections, and they can apply that thinking to everything, even to, to virtual making, any kind of making. It's just, it, it's a body of knowledge, it's a way of thinking, it's an approach that you cannot learn without the intelligence of the hands being involved. And once the hands sort of teach the brain um, and they work together, that is an absolutely transferable set of under skills and understanding that can be applied to anything. You know, there was in the book, we uh, worked with Frank Wilson, who wrote the book The Hand, and he once said that when the opposable thumb evolved, the brain doubled in size, and it was almost as if the brain needed to be bigger to understand everything the hand was teaching it. And that's such a nice sort of analogy for what happens at RISD. Linking it back to technology, I asked Roseanne to share her thoughts about traditional craft skills. 
and which of those skills should make room for digital media in the foundation studies. The core, the, the sort of armature of it is drawing 2D and what we now call spatial dynamic. 2D is now called design and 3D, what, what we had as 3D is now called spatial dynamics. And the idea is that the drawing is um, very different depending on which faculty member, but they're, it's really approached as a way of thinking, understanding, and learning how to evolve ideas. The design aspect is the more formal aspects of what we would consider 2D design, but I think dimensions are so different now when we're living with um, you know, 4D, 5D, all the different ways that people define space and time right now. But it has a lot to do with color and composition and organization and text and, and um, really understanding how to create something that has intentional thought within it. And it doesn't have to be design in the sense of going into a design discipline. It can be the design of organization of something that could be also an illustration or a painting. So it's very broad. The, the spatial dynamics thing is really about understanding how to create objects in space or structures in space or thinking in space. What we've done recently is we've added a lot of technology thinking into the first year. So all of the students are learning coding. There's a lot of um, work in some of the 3D areas around robotics and machine creation and making. Um, the students in some sections actually make drawing tools, which are almost like three-dimensional machines to produce drawings in new ways and then draw with those tools. So the idea of the language of everything that technology brings and offers, for artists, any kind of material, any kind of new language is a, a, a moment of um, kind of joy and curiosity. And so all of those new tools and expansive ways of thinking and making are being brought into the first year. Um, we look at coding as a tool, just like charcoal is a tool. And the students do incredible things. We, our students are not the kind of students that just want to use software. They want to reinvent everything or invent everything from their own personal perspective and their own curiosity. And so it, it became very important that that entered into the freshman year curriculum. And it's been hugely exciting to watch what's coming out of that. The big um, hope is that they're learning core capabilities that are transferable to anything they do. And that, you know, I, if I could cite the number of RISD alumni who studied one thing and are doing something else brilliantly, who still attribute what they're doing completely to their RISD education, you know, I mean, it would be a list as long as alumni who were doing what they studied. And in part, work is changing so much. I mean, I often say that we are educating students for jobs that don't even exist yet. And um, there are a lot of reasons that our students do really well in those fields because of this notion of working from an absolute blank sheet and coming at the other end. And I'm saying that, you know, in some cases directly, but in some cases metaphorically, coming out at the other end with a thing, an idea, a, a new invention, a new work of art that never existed before. And if you take that same set of principles or that same journey and think about it in the technology world or in a world where who knows what, how we're going to be driving or getting our food or getting even our plates and cups and saucers, you know, whether we're going to be making them and then washing them with the food or, you know, there are all these, we're at these incredible moments of change that are really exciting to someone who thrives on that ability to invent from a position of strength 
not necessarily knowing where you're going. And, um, you know, it's interesting uh, in leadership. It's interesting in, in technology. It's interesting in creating new forms of practice, new kinds of collaboration. There's so many places where that form of thinking um, is the difference between imitation and leading or imitation and invention, creation. It got me wondering if the fields were actually merging or rather deepening as silos with bridging vocabularies. I've been to so many companies in Silicon Valley that say to me, we need your designers. Please send us your designers. We have so many engineers. They're also capable. We need your designers. And oftentimes what I ask them why, you know, I ask them what they're looking for. And the first pass from someone who doesn't really understand what art and design produces is something about presentation, graphics, a way of um, kind of making a, a, something, a, a complex thing accessible for someone through visual means. But what they don't understand, because they haven't had the opportunity of working with designers at the core of uh, an assignment or a brief or an investigation, is the, the different way of thinking and the different language that artists and designers can really bring to a project. So we've been doing a lot of work with scientists at RISD. And again, the scientists, um, really, they want us because they want someone to be able to make their data presentable. That's why they first come to us. And we explain to them that we can do that, but that's not really why they want us. And they don't know why yet. Um, they want us because we can actually create a much deeper inquiry. And we can talk about paths of inquiry and ways of understanding exploration and experimentation that they're not capable of because that's how we think and that's how that's where a lot of our strengths lie and that's true in so many industries and it's why you know this notion of jobs that don't exist yet it's why our our kinds of thinkers can go out and succeed in those and actually help to create new ones i mean you know the classic example is airbnb right yeah. that that was a completely it was such a simple concept but what's really interesting about it is that they faced so many obstacles, and at every at every point, they used their design education, their way of being creative to, to not just solve that problem, but to sort of leap across that problem and actually make an aspect to their business that they had never thought of before they encountered that glitch that made the company better, that made the company broader, that brought in new audiences, that helped them to succeed in ways that they hadn't anticipated when they started. And that, that form of transformational thinking is something that every industry needs. Certainly, you know, public policy, we've been doing work with the government um, on making more human-centered public policy. We've been working with healthcare industries. We've been working with certainly education. We've been working with scientists on research projects around, uh, especially around the environment and sustainability issues. And all of these, um, all of these different, uh, areas of research and practice and making and development find that when they have artists and designers at the core of the team, they just get so much further than they ever imagined. Thinking about designing with purpose or impact, I wanted to know what she thought about designers having a unique opportunity to tackle complex problems like climate change. Some of the things that are having the most effect are actually 
the kind of simulations that artists and designers can conceive. So it's not just about making them look good, but there have been a lot of, um, we did a class at RISD talking about the Newport mansions and what happens with sea level rise and how that would affect that whole coastline. We've done things around um, coastal change and marine environments. We did a oyster um, architecture course called Oyster Texture, where we were really trying to work with scientists to think about habitats that oysters would do better in than other habitats. And in fact, the RISD habitat, which was beautiful aesthetically, was the one that the oysters preferred by far um, compared to the ones that the scientists had conceived. And so, you know, is it only aesthetic or is it because it had other properties that attracted the oysters? But, you know, there have been some recent artist projects around sea rise and cities and climate change in terms of temperature and lifestyle that really understand the human experience. And, you know, obviously we teach a lot of user experience in, in many fields at RISD, but we know how to express things from the human experience point of view, even if it's not direct, you know, user experience as a form of practice. And those things are having greater impact than I think what any kind of scientific um, chart or, or demonstration can produce because it brings it back home. It brings it back to the person. And uh, there is a, an enormous um, distrust of research and statistics because they can be so interpreted. But when you actually or misinterpreted or played with or you know, mis misused, but when you actually can see evidence of what someone's experience would be like, what it is to raise a family under the circumstances of extreme environments, that affects people in a different way. Next, I wanted to hear how Roseanne thought emerging technologies were truly transforming design practice. The difference of teaching a technology approach to something is important in the context of RISD because of the fact that it's all technology, right? So in my area, which was furniture design, if you approach doing digital fabrication and you have the understanding of what it's like to sharpen a chisel, you approach it very differently than if you've never had that, again, that hands-on sort of embodied learning. So at RISD, I think what makes the technology integration into our department so strong is the more legacy um, forms of teaching that also happen alongside of that. I think there are many schools that are doing great stuff around technology that don't have the kind of legacy understanding of materials and making and histories of, of fields and the kind of processes and you know craftsmanship notions. Those are absent in other area, other art schools that have fabulous programs that are really geared towards just the technology side. And there's a difference. And I hear it from employers. I hear about it as a different kind of cognitive understanding when approaching a problem that RISD students have. And again, it's that critical making piece. And I think the next iteration that we'll be looking at in critical making is the notion of biomaking and the opportunities there. And we have this incredible nature lab and this really wonderful connection to the natural world as a really rich resource for artists and designers and thinking about all of the advances that are happening around biology and making coming together. And RISD, I think, is going to enter some really interesting work in that field. But one of the other things I think is worth mentioning um, is that, you know, in this time of data, I mean, data is everywhere. We have access to all kinds of data. We have access to all kinds of capacity in all of our 
tools and you know we now carry computers in our pocket and the it's very confusing and complex for people and people need other people to help them make sense of it and artists and designers are wonderful at sifting through ideas to sort of come to an outcome that is you know if you look back at the very roots of RISD which was based on this notion of bringing beauty and economy together to provide an experience for society and culture if you look at that in terms of the strain of people working with big data and with all of this technology and wanting sense made out of it, that's something that artists and designers can do uniquely. And it's, I think, a huge opportunity for our graduates moving forward. To round it up, I asked Roseanne about how students develop focus and mastery in this torrent of content and technology. I think it's why there are so many successful social media curators, you know, that are curating everything. And um, one of the differences in our students now is that they feel they have this identity build that they do through their social media presence. And so as they're developing their thinking as artists and designers and practitioners, they're also developing in a way they're public and they're private, you know, the way that they construct their private to their public, which is... That's a really interesting change in time. I think artists, you know, when I was certainly was a student, were much more isolationist in our development. So that's an interesting moment in time. You know, I think um, one of the other notions about machine learning and, you know, the idea of artificial intelligence is that like a lot of other technologies, there comes a point when someone, again, has to make sense of it and say, do we really want, okay, we can make this capacity, but do it's great that we can do it, but do we really want that thing? And looking at augmented reality, where there's sort of a, you know, a, a human side to it and a machine side, and they're sort of working in concert, is so much more appealing because there's still this sense of that the purpose is still the person. It's not the technology. And um, keeping the balance of that right is really, really fascinating. Um, you know, I've watched... I've been in groups early on when AI, when there were, when there was virtual reality experiences where people you know put on the goggles and saw things and did things together, and there would be non-artists and artists looking at the same thing, and the artists always found it so unsatisfying because it was you know missing this whole level of perception that they knew in such a personal way, whereas other people were encountering these worlds of imagination that perhaps they'd never been able to imagine. And, um, and they had really different experiences. So if you can sort of bring artists and designers into the realm of augmentation using the technology, but then really choreographing a, an experience or a thing or a space with that or an education. I mean, in education, there's all kinds of opportunity for, for individuals in various parts of the world to understand other aspects of of the globe or of nature or of you know space, that um, putting those things together in a very um, intentional way will, I think, pull the, the real power out of the technology. But the technology shouldn't drive it. It should be, the technology, again, should be viewed as a tool that allows us to open these doors into these other spaces. But someone really still needs to design it. Someone still needs to make it make sense to um, the human experience.
If you enjoyed today's episode, you can access our whole library of video interviews at designnonfiction.org. There you can subscribe to our mailing list to make sure you never miss a new release. Follow us on Instagram at tellart. Design Nonfiction started as a road trip visiting our design and technology friends around the world. We wanted to explore with them how design is changing in the 21st century and what the future might hold. The conversation continues with you, so please get in touch. We welcome your thoughts and questions. Design Nonfiction is independently funded and produced by Tellart. Thanks to our whole team and to Luca on production, Maya on research, Recent Jack on cameras, Leah, Ilsa, and Lucas in post-production. Special thanks to Superposition for our graphics and you guys for our theme music. I'm Matt Cottom. Thanks for listening.